Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast. And this week we have the Diamond Brothers, Josh and Jason Diamond. I've known the Diamond Brothers. They're, uh, they're twins that have been working together. I think we come to find out in the podcast since birth. And I've known them for a few years now. And it's really interesting. I think that in the, um, in the freelance community, you come across so many people on jobs and, you know, how much you can get to know someone in like a two or three day period on a set. You're both working. You have some side chat, but it's, you know, you get to understand them a little bit. But there's always these people that I think you come across and you're like, what, how much have you lived? Like what, what are, how many experiences do you have? You know, because at every single moment, there's another tangential story that they throw out or there's another connection that they have, or there's another thing, genre or industry that they've been a part of years ago. And you're just like, how many lives have you lived so far? And that's, that's the Diamond Brothers. Honestly, you know, they have, they have produced um, features that have gone to South by Southwest, documentary features that have gone to South by Southwest. They've done stuff that's that's been in Tribeca. They've done stuff that's been at the Berlin Film Festival. They've done stuff for MTV. It, it, it's the, the the span of it. They've they've owned a post production facility. They are part of Frame.io, which is an online based platform that's a startup, and they are part of that startup. Like you name something, and they they're they're now getting into a virtual reality. So like their their grip on things have gone in so many different directions over such a long period of time. You know, they're in their mid-40s now, and it's really fascinating. And I w- I'm so glad that I was finally able to sit down with them because I just been like, you know, I've, I've known them for years at this point, like I said, and I'm like, I think I know what, what you guys are about, but there's so much more. And honestly, we joked about it at the end that it could keep going. Um, because I think that they have so many little stories about so many different things and that's really exciting. And, you know, I think it really proves the point that, especially the more podcasts that we do, there, there are so many ways to get to where you want to be. And it's really about figuring out what's best for you. And for these guys, a holistic, open-minded approach to things and taking on whatever comes across so that you can just get it done. Whatever's in front of you, like you can figure it out and get it done. And, um, that has that mentality has led them to so much of their success and so much of jumping from industry to industry because it wasn't really about one long end goal. It was about how do I confront with the obstacle in front of me? And so I think that it's really interesting and um, totally great to hear that perspective from these two. And then obviously talking about collaboration, I mean, these guys are, they're identical twins and they've been working together forever. Uh, and and it's just uh, it's really cool because obviously we all have to collaborate, but they're having needed to collaborate or or being forced to since day one, literally. Um, it's really interesting how that has affected things so positively for them, and hearing how they collaborate and how they really enjoy working with other people, and it's it comes as no shock. So it, it's been really great to sit down with them. Uh, I've worked with them before, and they are they're two of the nicest guys. I think you know. They talk about one of their strengths being literally, I can go to a bar and learn about someone and then somehow that we can network that. And, you know, that is, it is their greatest strength. They're a lot of fun to hang out with. I really, they're just, they're just great. So um, I'm excited about this one. I think it's a lot of fun. And as always, uh, thanks for being here. The thing that really went from just a love of to uh, I could do this was American Werewolf in London. 
like seeing that the makeup and the prosthetics and and that the real special effects the practical yeah. effects yeah we decided at that point that's what we wanted to do i want to do special effects. practical effects not so like at that's what i was going to say the third thing he said kiss in star wars and i was going to say the third thing is american Royal from london because the family friend wanted to take us to see it in the theater i think it was 1980 anyway we were like you know nine ten years old and i think my mom had already given into the idea that we were unflappable even though we weren't but you know yeah. on the surface yeah uh for these things and a friend was like i've heard about this movie you i think the boys want to see it so she took us to like an eight o'clock movie we saw the movie in the theater and lost i lost my shit and i don't know why how old were you guys it's then? like 10 yeah and it's still one of my favorite movies. It's an incredible film. When you say lost your shit, was there also Just, something it, like I I want to we want to make this stuff. We want to do yeah, this stuff. Yeah, that yes. was the first movie where I, for some reason, was attuned to a, to like a script hmm. because there's a lot of talking in it. It's a John Landis movie, so there's obviously a lot of talking and comedy outside of the horror. But even the horror is funny. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but after Griffin Dunn dies, he shows up throughout the whole movie, like progressively rotting and trying to convince. David to kill himself, otherwise he's going to turn into a werewolf, but it's hilarious. But at the same time, it's frightening, right? I think there was something that we recognized in the storytelling. I remember saying to, to this girl, uh, Ronnie, who took us to the movie, I need to go back. We need to go back and see this like as many times as it takes that I can write the script down while, it's, while we're watching the movie. That was from a 10-year-old. Yeah. And of course we didn't do that, but yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember that's, the, that's how much it impacted. I remember that the, like, I don't know. And again, I, I can't say why. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I think that's like, you know, and then of course you get to Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, we saw all those movies as they came out back to the future and empire and Jedi and, so when and, and did what you, have you. When but, did you start trying, you're older now, like either teenage years or college. When did you start like making stuff? So we and ended what was up, that? well, so when we were 17, we got, kicked out of boarding school in Connecticut. Okay. And we came to back to the city and that was like 1988. Mm -hmm. And we got jobs working for a guy in Brooklyn who was making masks, like actual special effects. So he was making masks for commercials and movies. He was making dioramas for toy stores. And so we worked for him for, I don't know, six, six months, a year, just helping him and learning. Right, because that's what we wanted to do, right? I didn't know cameras. I didn't know editing. I didn't know anything. I just knew I wanted to do special effects. We wanted to do special effects. We found this guy. Uh, he, he was over by the Barclays Center before that was even a thing. Yeah. Uh, and we just went there every day, and he, he was above an old tire shop, and we just made stuff all day with your hands. There was no computers. There was no nothing. He was just all practical. And you were doing that together. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we'd go separately, you know, like, all right, I got to do something else or whatever. But I want to, just prior to that, I think the, in terms of uh, directing, editing in high school, when we were in, I think it was the fall of 12th grade, you had to play a sport in because you were there. Mm -hmm. so they're like, well, you're not going to like fuck around after school and do nothing. So everyone's got to pick a sport. So we just played football in the fall. The hell of it. But our team was terrible and we never scored a single point in two and a half years that we were a team, Yeah, which was fine. Nobody cared. Yeah. But they canceled the football program because they thought it was demoralizing to the students, even though we were like, we don't care. So all the football players joined drama Wow! in the winter, because what else are you going to do? Yeah. We were like, we we're going to do a special project. I think the school had a, a VHS like shoulder camcorder mm -hmm. or whatever. And we're like, we're going to do like, a, like an art piece about the school, which really was an excuse to do nothing and wander around with the camera and shoot random shit. 
but what we ended what we were really doing was like verite without knowing it yeah and, and also just, forming that the the dialogue that you guys have when like there's a camera and like there's yeah. a purpose yeah and like so that started very St- early started being like do this do that and then we edited it by going from one VHS deck to another to pick parts of the, the stuff we had shot. Yeah. And there was a couple of, a couple other kids that had done it with us. And that's when we figured out how to do like video uh, feedback. Yeah. Shooting. Well, you know, Cause I was going to so. say, it's interesting. Cause I was going to, one of my questions that I had, was thinking about asking is like, you know, obviously there's a realization that you're going to do this job and you're going to be in this industry. And then like, was there also this realization that you're going to do it? together but it no, doesn't I think e- that was inherent yeah that's just, what i'm saying like it, it's not even the question wasn't even posed like no it, it just it was never even a part of the equation i think i think based on the fact that we essentially got kicked out of every school every year and it was never like i can't point to any one thing i think they just told my mom like just, just don't come back like it was never like a thing there was never an event to point to and there was only you know all of our we had no relatives near us so it was really like me and my brother and my mom. So I think there was always this idea of a unit, like it's the three of us against whatever. Yeah. And when she wasn't around, it was the two of us against whatever. And I think maybe she just, without us knowing it specifically, she really built that idea of a unit, like you guys need to support each other. Right. Without without us, no, it was never said. But it just became this it just thing became that, the that thing. it just was the way. And because we were, and because we were changing schools and other things when you're the new kid every year well now i'm not the new kid because at least my brother's there and right fuck it if nobody's going to be our friend we don't need to have a friend even though we made friends fine yeah no. but you have that safety blanket yeah no i, t- I hear you so then when, when you when you're working at that place um making prosthetics let's take a jump like when when were you, when were you starting to like work in the industry well there were two things so when we got we went to hunter college mm-hmm. and so when we got to hunter college in Manhattan. You know, it's a yeah in in 68th in Lexington. It's a city school, so they don't have a lot of advisors that are you know when you go to SVA or NYU film school, they're like okay, here's your course load over four years. You have some choice of electives or whatever. At Hunter, it's like here's a giant book. I hope you get your hundred level classes when you need them, or you're going to be here for seven years. You know, um, which a lot of people which are. a lot of people are. So uh, we started with intro to film. A lot of people took that class because they figured they could sleep for two hours. We obviously loving movies was like oh this is an easy class of course you just go sit and watch movies all day but it, that was the movie that was the class that introduced you to citizen kane and battleship potemkin and 39 steps and all these movies that you would never as a 19 year old kid normally or 20s whatever yeah, watch yeah. on your own yes. and sit down and go i'm gonna watch it and like classics. think critically about it too right, right. yeah I feel like and then you have start a your film class yeah. i remember starting my film classes being like uh, the same thing i'm interested but like you know it's also going to be simple and then you're like oh wait a minute thinking about this critically is really interesting. And like, I didn't realize how, right. how much I enjoyed the academic perspective of looking at this stuff. So we liked that teacher so much that we took her. Right, that was the, hi- that was the history of film class. But you're leaving on even I'm the not, smaller point. I'm not. That was the history of film <laughs> class. So the next one was intro to film. Yeah. Right? And it was the same teacher. The teacher was Barbara Leeming. And it turns out that she spent the last 10 years of Orson Welles' life with him and wrote a book about him. A giant book, like it's, a four-inch, yeah, five-inch book. It's just yeah. a book. It's called like On Orson. Like or 500 like pages. Yeah, it's, it's called, and it says Barbara Leeming, is, she's the teacher. And so she would tell us these stories of when he was alive, he would just randomly come to class. Wow. And give. Or like put marks on yeah, people's papers. Or, or, you know, and just participate with her. And like. How cool. He was the kind of guy that was like similar to Miles Davis where he would call musicians in the middle of the night and be like, I need you to play this phrase tomorrow and like hum it into the phone and hang up at like three in the morning. 
he he would call her at like two in the morning and be like, Barbara, have I ever told you about this story of whatever? And she'd be like, you know, fiercely writing and then go back <laughs> to sleep and, you know, and it ends up in the book. Wow. Um, but she had a very, she was an amazing teacher and she was very, she's the one who sort of opened our eyes to this could be a career. Like I had never thought or just of about movies, directing and, and editing and like walks you through what the departments do and what is editing, what is directing, what is filming. Do you remember Even like, on a basic level, but it was yeah. Citizen Kane. Like, I think it's because she would link every film to Orson Welles in some capacity because she was so obviously her world was so tied into him that she had a way to link like, you know, the, the Odessa step sequence to Wells in some capacity or whatever that we became Orson Welles. Yeah. And and when you see and obviously Citizen Kane from a visual perspective, it forces you to think about what someone's doing with the camera because he did things with the camera that nobody ever did. That opened up what my brother was saying, like sort of like, okay, you make movies. Right. Right? Like some people make movies and you see pictures on set and you know George Lucas is a director, but you just So you guys are walking out of this class and it's obviously affecting you as the course of the semester is going on. And you guys are like leaving literally leaving the building and talking to each other and like what were those conversations like? Because obviously on the one hand, you guys are both real having these realizations about the, that this is like a, a, a craft that's bigger than you thought, like the potential to do it. Like, were you guys automatically being like, this is what we can do? And no, no, no. What was because the combo? At the same time, at the same time we were, because we had been kicked out of boarding school, our mom was living in a studio apartment in Manhattan prior to that, thinking that we'd be there in boarding school till the end of high school and, and they go to going to college somewhere. and she's doing her thing. And now she has her kids living in a studio apartment in Battery Park City together. So we sort of toughed it out there for like six months. And then we were like, we got, we have to get out of here. And through a mutual not friend. Not because there's anything wrong with no, her, it's but, just, you know, it's just like living with your mom yeah, it, in, a, in a studio it's apartment. Time. It's, just not, it's, yeah. it's tight. Not happening. So a month before we turned 18, we moved into our own apartment. Together. Together with yeah. another friend. It was like 600 bucks a month, rent controlled, Upper West Side, like friend of a friend, hook up, Sounds at, you know, great. get a job at a pizza shop and like pay your rent at 18 and go to, go to, go to college. Right. You but know, at that whatever. Point, we were, we were way more focused on music, on bands so than we, were, we like, were on making movies, right. like still loving movies, learning about movies in the East Village movies, all the time. Yeah. Going, you know, we grew up as New York hardcore kids going to CBGB's matinees and like, and then being in bands. How did that evolve into the film? Later on, like, I don't know, by the time we 95. were like, yeah, we got kicked again, kicked out of college. college. Please don't come back. What we were, were you guys we were, doing? Well, college I was, just don't do homework. I'm like the mo- we're super ADD and, and I do really well in class. Yeah. But and I pay attention in class, but I don't want to do homework. I don't I hear that. I, and I, and I, I have no I I fear have of repercussions, yeah. I think, is the other thing. Like we have no. Like someone's like, you're going to get in trouble. You're like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, like, am I going to go to jail? No. Well, fuck it. I don't care. Like, and I'm not saying that's cool. It's just, it's just. But when you're like 22, 23, I mean, every kid who's between 20 and 25. It's just so funny though. Obviously, and Hunter College you know, was $650 a semester. Like, so, so you're not like burning hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, 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 right. But like, you know, obviously you guys do so much now and like have a certain level of success. And it's like, well. It's just really interesting I'll, I'll that you, you get why. kicked out like well, 12, I'll tell you why. 15 because, times. Because we're only interested to learn about the things we're interested in. Mm. And that's why. Okay. I think over those schooling years, sure, now like I like math and I, and I somehow remember shit from like syntax and English class. Like It wasn't until we were on our own and could completely control the information coming in that in the 80s, it was music. 
It was just music, 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 music all the time, going to movies, but music and music, music all the time, being in bands, playing shows, and focus on that. And it wasn't until about 95 that a friend of ours had told us about this thing called the Avid. And she was like, hey, I work at, she worked at Red Car. And she was like, I work at Red Car. There's this thing we're using now called the Avid. It's a computer editing machine. And we're just starting to use it. It's brand new. But if you learn it, it could be something cool. And like at that point, we still hadn't thought about like editing as a job, right? So we got kicked out of school and called a friend who was we knew was working on a movie as something, right? It hey, production company. Yeah, you guys are making a movie. I need a job. I got to pay my rent. Six bucks an hour, 10 bucks. I'll be a PA, whatever you can give me. And he said, well, we just wrapped production, but we're going into post-production and we have, an Avid. we have this new machine called an Avid that nobody knows how to run except for the editor and we need people to learn how to use it. We're like, oh, it. Avid. Yeah, sure. We know what yeah, that is. Just heard about that from my <laughs> friend. Sure. Um, sign me up. So we show up at this post-production house. It was the two of us and two other friends who, that are now longtime friends. Within three months, they had fired the editor and my brother and I and one of the guys ended up cutting, ended up being the editors. Even though we had never we seen this machine before. We were there for a year. Before. Ended up being there for a year. Yeah. We'd never seen this machine before. We were computer kids. We ended up at this place. Yeah learning and sitting wait sitting with the manual and going what does this button do what does this button do and learning how to operate the machine and also how to fix it because nobody it was a brand new thing yeah nobody knew yeah what, and we what made friends with the installation engineer when he was setting it up we're like what does that cable do what does that cable do you know like all of a sudden now we're learning about stuff that is interesting to us what how big is that hard yeah, drive and you guys could go for days like not yeah, right. losing energy as long as you yeah care. absolutely so we basically lived at this place in shifts and my brother and i and another friends of ours the editor got fired because he was a jerk yeah and just didn't want to work with anybody and ended up cutting the movie when when that year ended what were by the time like obviously going through that year has its um impression on you by the time you got to the end were you like we were like this is it we wanted yeah editing is like holy shit like this is awesome storytelling yeah yeah like and the movie was fucking terrible didn't matter though but it didn't matter it, it just, we were able to craft, like under, like take coverage and craft a scene and then think about it. And put music on it and yeah, different music. Because we didn't have to pay do. for the licensing and they're like, well, we're going to score it anyway. So put any music you want on there. So we're putting Black Sabbath in there and whatever. Going back to that question that I asked about when you're walking out of that classroom, maybe the conversation wasn't happening then, but was it happening when you were walking away from the edit for five minutes? Yes. Yes, we were like, okay, this is something we can do. And what were the goals at that time? Like, what were you, what, what, what were you guys None. trying to think? None. It was just, okay, what do we do with this? Because there's not, there's, there's no inter- Again, there's no internet. Yeah. We went back to our friend Sue and said, hey, we know how to use the Avid now. Can we get an assistant editor job at Redcar? And she's like, no, but you can start in the library, which is the worst possible thing for the two of us. Ever. Sit in this room. Sit in this room and, and be organized, organized, and yeah. keep track of everyone else's. Your shit. whole life is the homework you didn't want to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So all we would do is sit in there and listen to Howard Stern. All yeah. The only, the only thing that was the OJ trial. Yeah. OJ trial was the exact Stern same time during that whole thing. <laughs> but anyway, we would because there's two of us. We would sort of sneak out of the rooms and make friends with all the editors and sit in on their sessions when the clients weren't in, and we observed and, and learned that way. When did things get get? When, when did you start doing jobs? Right after that. Yeah. So, so, so we had a, we had and a, we ended up getting fired because <laughs> doing the worst possible job in the library, library job ever. Yeah. And my friend who hired us had to fire us and be like, "This is not working out." We're like, "Yeah, we told you we wanted to be fucking assistant editors. <laughs> Why are you putting in, in that?" She's like, "Well, you got to come up." Meanwhile, another friend of us got hired directly as assistant editor. We're like, "Come on, you're killing me." 
but that's because he was super organized in the library for like a month. And they're like, oh, he's good. Let's take him. Well, let that. So, yeah. So a, friend, a, a good <laughs> friend of ours at the time had bought a uh, like a VHSC camera. He had an idea to do a public access show because there was, you know, I don't know if it still exists, but there was Manhattan Neighborhood Network. And you could just go down there and say, I want a show on public access. Give me a half hour. And they'd be like, OK, you can have this time slot. And you would just tell them what the name of your show was and... You just give them whatever you want. So you started just making stuff for public access? So we started doing a public access show. No editing. Yeah. We would just put the camera up and the three of us would just sit. We'd bounce the camera on as as many CD cases as we need to 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 frame the shot of the three of us. And then we'd talk for a half hour. You didn't even have a tripod. No, no, no. CD it's cases on, his on the record player in yeah. his dress on, on his dresser in the room. And we would just talk and about we'd music talk for a and half hour and whatnot. We'd hit start. We'd talk for a half hour. We'd hit stop and we'd go turn the tape in. And we did this for like a year and we started to find out we had made some friends with some bands in Boston. We started to hear from them that people were taping our show down in in New York and Trading sending it. it to their friends over around the country because really? we were just retarded. Yeah, we were we just, would like, just like, smashing we, people. See, this is terrible. Smash. Yeah, we would just be talking like, about movies. Through that, we ended up getting we would friendly. interview bands. Yeah, we would interview bands periodically. And so through that, we got to be friends with with uh, the first band that really approached us was Sick of It All here in the city. They were like, "We want to be on your show. Your show is awesome." We want to get interviewed by you guys and whatever. So we got to be friends with them. We were already hardcore kids, so we already knew all these bands. Their roadies formed a band called H2O. Uh, a friend of ours was supposed to direct a music video for them, and we were going to edit it. And so Toby, so the we singer, knew avid. right? So we knew how to use an avid. <laughs> and so Toby, the singer, called me one day and was like, "The dude who's supposed to make the video can't do it. Can you do it? We have three thousand dollars." And we were like. I guess so. Sure. sure. We'll figure it out. And we were like, how do we do that? And we knew a friend had a film camera. A friend had a, had a Eclair Super 16. So you just, so you just had, were given an opportunity and, yeah. and, you, and, and now you're directing and you're shooting. Yeah. You like so, that and well, it kept building. Well, it was the thing of like, okay, how do we do this? Yeah. Right. So find somebody with a camera. What kind of film do we need? Okay. Now we filmed it. How do we get that? What do we do with it? Yeah. Well, you got to get it developed. Oh, okay. And now what? I got to take it to a transfer house. Yeah. And get it put on a beta. And you sit oh, in the transfer okay. house and the guy goes, what do you want it to look like? And you're, you're like, what do you I mean? have no idea. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it take it from there. Does it go from there to the tape? Yeah. Well, then do that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. What, the guy's like, fucking idiot. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, what's color correction? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and not to get too chronological, but that first, that was our first directing experience. Having no idea what a director specifically did. It was a live music video at CBGB's. Yeah, but we added one story element right. and we got this weird stage, weird little roomy stage and we brought a bunch of their friends and we made up a scene. Like, oh, you come in, you do this, you know, like blocking, but not knowing what blocking is. And at the end of the day, and not having, it's film, so at Super 16, no video tap, having no idea what the camera is seeing. And just looking at Chris, our friend being like, how'd it look? He's like, looks cool to me. So, okay, great. You know, yeah, Lumet style. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember, I remember Jason specifically at the end of the day going home. And I think we might've spoken about it and being like, holy shit. That was the holy shit moment as a director and being like, that was amazing. It was probably terrible for everyone else. What was amazing but about it? The idea of like now, like being like, oh, right. That's how you make a scene. Even though our scene was probably totally stupid and blocked terribly or who knows what, but the ability to tell people what to do and how to do it with your idea in your head and trying to get it onto the screen. And that got you. That was, that was it. From that moment, how long did it take until you were, you were, you made something that was, you know, that felt big and of note. What was that? What was that first big project where like either it was because it went to a film festival. Actually, that wasn't until like 2003 to breeze through the next 
eight years. Yeah. We we directed a bunch of music videos. Uh, the late nineties. The music videos. No, no. Late but 90s. I'm saying oh. the thing that that like was the sort of what you're talking about, like oh, the oh, thing yeah. that we're like, okay, now we've where things changed. Things changed and things have come together and we can do this. Yes. As a thing, because yes. we were sort of hacking through the music video stuff, and I think we all had a knack for it, and we managed to pull together enough people that also had enough information to hack through it. Yeah, that we did a bunch of music videos. Music videos died out, especially for New York hardcore bands, and because of our post background, we started doing a lot of editing. And for about eight years, we built a post company, doing uh, starting with one room and doing a lot of freelance editing for MTV, and then by the time we were done and closed the company, the post side of the company in 2007, we had seven edit rooms and we were running a business doing no production, right, so only contract post. work, for contract work for MTV. We'd rent rooms to MTV for a year for a show and whatever. And it was fine, but we realized we were, this is insane. So, so 2007, we closed the company because we're like, we're luckily because a year later or six months later, the whole industry and the economy took a shit. Yeah. We got out clean and we took all the money we had left and we bought a red one. Interesting. Hold on. So you start this company and like what made you think that starting the company was the right call instead of whatever? Instead because of just... it was opportunistic. How so? Because in the late 90s, there was not a lot of avid editors. So we had a skill. Yeah. And we were doing these music videos. And so we had connections. We went to college with a friend, Andre Razo, who introduced us to Thomas Campbell who we ended up making three surfing films with. Um, and in 1996, July 4th, 1996, I cut the first Unsane video, which was the first music, like TV, like super legit music video I cut, even though it cost no money. That was all dudes bailing on skateboards and getting trashed. <laughs> I think we have the record for the, the cheapest music video ever to be in home heavy rotation on MTV. But at that moment, we got introduced to people at MTV. And MTV did not have infrastructure. They had like an avid or two. And they were doing as as a channel like them need to do, create tons of content. And we lucked into being their overflow pipe. Gotcha. And we made an insane amount of money in a short amount of time because they had no choice. And they're just like, we need this work done. Can you do it here? Take this. So the company was born out of the ability to make money seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. And we had a skill... And we were able to cobble together money to buy an Avid early and what have you. I was going to say Avid. How much was an Avid at that time? Avid. Our first Avid setup was 150 grand. Yeah. 180. 180. Yeah. With, that's with decks and all that stuff. Yeah. But we, we got a lease. We put down a certain amount of money and we got a lease and we just well, yeah. I mean, paid it off. Your, your main client is hiring you constantly and that's yeah. how you were able to do it? Yeah. And so then... Now, fast forwarding back to what you were saying is that so you so you, so that dried up because as as because MTV was like kind of switching over to well, it reality. wasn't even it wasn't MTV specifically, but you know, one hundred eighty thousand dollars setup cost forty thousand dollars in two thousand seven. Yeah, so they got bought by Viacom. MTV got, got they they merged with CBS. CBS, and CBS and came in and was like, "You're throwing money down the toilet. You, you need, could just you buy, to do just this build internal. a whole room of Final Cut rooms, which cost nothing, but or computers." Avid. Or Avid or whatever. And so they did. And so a lot of work that people had in external, these small boutique companies sort of went under mm. because that was the majority of your clientele. Yeah. But you, guys saw, so you guys saw it coming. We sort of saw it coming and we were like, hey, we don't even really want to be doing this. Right. Like, I don't want to run a company. That's like the worst thing. Yeah, why thing. didn't you want to do it? Let's assume, Not from a let's business. assume that the economics were fine. Why didn't because you want to do Because you're not being creative. No, yeah. yeah. Teching rooms. What do you need to make your life creative? Yeah. I'm going to sit here no and pay bills. We had no time for us to... 
and and do anything but there's no business development there's no nothing you're just sort of waiting for a problem to solve and again that's i think that's the downfall of being opportunistic is you are getting into something that while maybe lucrative is not something you're inter- intentionally doing or really i mean listen the end result is we learned a shitload about post and, and workflow workflow and, and, yeah. and editing and incredible tech side of like formats and frame rates and all the nonsense codecs and shit that help us immeasurably now that we suffered through like seven years of post. I'm not saying it was terrible. We had fun, but we cut a lot of stuff for a lot of friends and we were the go-to place for people who wanted to make stuff that knew we would cut them a deal or do whatever. But at a certain point we're like, why aren't we doing those creative things? Like I want to make the movie and have someone else cut it, not cut someone else's movie. Yeah. So the, I mean, it's fun. I feel like 2008 and like economic downturn, depending on how you either did make, you know, I guess your decision came slightly before that, but it's like, it kind of gave people, if you, especially in the freelance world, like an opportunity yeah. if you wanted to kind of change direction. Yeah. And so you guys did. So we did. And we, like I said, we decided to buy a red one because I had, I think I was friends with Alex Lindsay at the time um, who had pixel core and he was talking about this thing, the red one, and what it was. I was like, I have no idea what this is talking about. I don't know shit about cameras or anything, really. But we want to get into production, and we're going to put our money down, and fuck it. And it was like, again, we were, and we were comfortable with the leasing world because we had been doing it for so long. We're like, oh, we'll take like a $40,000 lease? That's it's nothing. That's geez, compared you know? to the average. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we did that, and we used that as an impetus to like, okay, now we have to pay this lease off. We have no so that, that way was to like do the that. Fire in your, yeah. Like, yeah. And so in 2008, we, through other contacts, EP'd a film called The Exploding Girl uh, with Zoe Kazan and Mark Rendell, directed by Brad Gray um, and his wife, produced So Young Kim. And they've had, since then, they've had movies in Sundance. You know, every movie they make goes to Sundance. They're great filmmakers. As an EP, we, we put our, our infrastructure into the film and learned a lot on that with them and we're like okay you know just right again, they taught us about production what we didn't know and we taught them about post what they which, didn't know. what they didn't know so at the time. and yeah, it great, was great mutually beneficial yeah, yeah. No, and, and great people great. and we just yeah. saw them at sundance last week yeah so i think the project that really turned it over for us was again a music video we did a music video for this band danko jones in 2009 um and so we were still freelance editing after we closed the company to, to like pay rent yeah we would edit for a spike or yeah, MTV. VH1. Well, in the meantime, he had gotten married and had a kid. I had gotten married and had a kid, and you know that having a kid, well, yeah, changes your perspective right. on on I had not only the work, not only the work that you want to do, but the work that you have to do. And so, how was you, that balance? Have, like, what were you? Because obviously, you guys had left. You guys turning down the like shutting shutting down the business, which was smart because of everything that was happening around you. But that would have been more, I think, in like the safe bet world with like having like a family well Well, but the company also wasn't doing well right so it actually was turning into a negative scenario yeah so because to pay the bills we were starting to have to go out and take freelance edit jobs while we're trying to run our company from the edit room yeah you're burning the candle yeah just you can't do that but also we're both blessed to have wives that are both supportive uh in in two ways (laughs) Uh, i love hearing that yeah in both in both supportive in the i think you're doing great keep it up but also i have a full-time job mm. right yeah so my wife has a full-time job luckily with I mean, they're health wi- insurance they're willing to suffer through the regular yeah, job I mean, so we can be idiots i mean not 
I don't know how willing they are, but they've signed on to the, for the yeah. long haul. So, <laughs> yeah, I've you know, been, I've been terrorizing my wife for 20 years with this yeah, shit. So. She's a saint at this point. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's a it's a it's really hard to do that, it, to do this if you have a family and your wife doesn't or vice versa. If you're the, a, a woman in this industry and your husband doesn't support you. Right, right, right. right. Uh, which, whichever your yeah. scenario. But but again, but, you know, it's it's it, it it's a uh, it's a huge yeah. lifesaver for somebody who can't hold a nine to five job because that's just not yeah. where I it. come from. I don't Doesn't go work. there. I can't go there. No, it's not well, ever going to work kicked for out. me. Like to figure out, yeah. I, oh, figure out how to go to from, take a nap in the bathroom, yeah. you know, fired like, from many funny. jobs. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I'm a great, I am someone that you'd love to work with, but if I got hired for a desk job, yeah, I, we've worked together. It's awesome. Out. But I, I would never see you. Oh like, me. Yeah. You, I'm saying me, the three of us have worked together. Yeah. And I could never see you in a nine to five job. Oh God. No, no. But, but but what's funny though is that I'm I'm willing. I'll I don't have a problem having a twenty hour day. Exactly. It just needs to be the it's right twenty day. hour day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, um, yeah. It's not every day in the same parking spot. Exactly. And the same yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's that, and that's the thing. Part of the ADD, at least in our capacity, is yeah. is literally every day can be different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even we, on the same set, right? It's, right. It's different. Oh yeah. No. I mean, we've been Nothing. offered jobs at studios and and you know very good pay and and all the benefits and all that stuff and I'm. Can't I just can't it. do it. Yeah. And like, even in that, even in any moments where things might've been in a pinch because you're raising a family that, that didn't tempt you. No, it doesn't because there's two flip flip sides. One, I don't want to, I don't want to raise my kid to understand that I'm miserable because I've made a choice. Good point. You know what I mean? Like I've made a choice yeah. that's better for everybody, but I'm so miserable that you don't want to be around me. But also... I also want to with your goal. I also want to teach her that I've spent 20 years getting to where I am and I wherever don't think that it's, is. wherever that is I don't want to then just say well just because of x I have to make decision y because right. I don't think that's necessarily it's true It's teaching the wrong and also it, it's it's unfair to say oh well taking that job is a safe bet cuz you get the money but you'd also be miserable and who knows how long you'd even last because right. you would be miserable Right Well rightly right. or wrongly even though my wife tells me she's miserable because I because choose not to be miserable. Because he chooses not to be miserable. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, you know, but, but it's I, a trade-off and we'll see how long that lasts. I made a, it's been I, 20 years so far. I made a decision a long time ago, smartly Plus or... Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I made a decision, this is Josh, I made a decision... Um, <laughs> Make sure to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. I made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to let money make my decisions for me. Mm. Now, certainly I have made many money dependent decisions by taking work and well, things along yeah, the way because you black have and to white. it's an equation but, but yeah. in general it's an algorithm in general i don't say i have curve. to do this because of this yeah right like i told my wife recently she was we were talking about going on vacation because my kid's off school and whatever and and i called her and i was like let's just do something i don't even care how much it costs right like money is money. Obviously. We'll find money some way, somehow. Let's have an experience. Let's just yeah. go do something that we'll all make memories doing. Go somewhere warm, whatever. I don't care. You know what I mean? That's what credit cards are for. And you work it out. Yeah. You know, this is the art versus commerce podcast. Indeed. So I'm saying the commerce part for me is not as important as the art, whether that's going on vacation with my family or making something. Although I do understand that and appreciate when I have money in my pocket yeah. yeah, and how that happens. Although we secretly, you know, are every day hoping that Fight Club is real and someone bombs the credit union. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, that would certainly help my cause. <laughs> you know, of course, no one would get hurt. Just the buildings yeah, and the records. Yeah, no, you know. Mr. Robot's a documentary. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. I wish. Um, 
just that one, t- not to be too chronological, but that, that touchstone moment well, of I where I think, say, I I think everything ask, came together for us. Like what happens? Because that goes to Sundance, right? You said? No, no. This was, this was just a music video. Oh, I was no, talking no, about the movie. No, the movie went to Berlin. Berlin. And, and, so and, and sold to Oscilloscope. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that was our first. But we, we were EPs. We were, you know, we weren't certainly taking any credit as producers, producers or directors or anything. But we were, we were you know, able to go along for the ride. And, and they graciously let us, you know, sort of yeah. hang out and see the process. It's my first time in Europe. Yeah. My first time at a, a yeah, film festival, Berlin, major or otherwise. And the film later sold to Oscilloscope and we got a theatrical and, and she won best. So we won best to, actress yeah. at Tribeca, you know, so it was certainly a great bet on our part. At least it, it didn't pay off financially per se, but it was a great exercise and like learning, experience. learning experience to understand how that process worked without being on the hook creatively. Right. When were you on the hook creatively? So that's what I was saying. Like, I think it was 2009 we, because of our, because of our love of music and, all that kind of stuff. We kept in touch with a lot of bands because we were in bands and sort of like I realized like we do now, if I like there's a vendor that we like, I'll make friends with the vendor. And just because I like being friends with people who do things that I like, whether it's make something, be a band, whatever, or this is both of us. But at the time we'd go see a band. And if afterwards, like especially because we'd be seeing bands at like CBGBs or someplace small, you could talk to the band. And so we had no qualms going up to the band and be like, wow, you guys are awesome. And like striking up a conversation and Sometimes saying, oh, well, our band's going to be in your town. Let's play together or that kind of thing. And so we had made friends with this band, Danko Jones, from Toronto. We were fr- fans of theirs since their first, like, 7-inch. We were feeling pretty confident at this point. We had the camera and we, like, new post and we were, like, getting comfortable directing. And we called them up and we're like, we want to direct a video for your, for your record. That And they're like, oh, we're just coming out with a record. And we're like, great, we want to do it. And they're like, okay, we'll get back to you. And they call us up and they're like, well, we already have a guy directing a video yeah, similar to our first experience yeah, similar to the same thing we already have a guy directing a video but you know i think we're going to do two at the same time i think one will be like a white psych just performance video you guys come to la you'll do that one the other guy's going to do like the big one and we're like all right fine that's cool way in yeah we're, we're in we'll be there i think it was the next day or two days later they called us and they're like you know what we don't think this other dude can pull it off can you think you can and we're like yes but we don't want to do a white psych video Let's yeah put all the money do- into a video and you're not going to perform in it it's going to be a narrative like you know uh, so well they were like come up with an idea and 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 call us back tomorrow you have like a day so between the two of us we were like okay no performance fuck performance no one no one needs to and they are they had already done like six music videos before that like everybody can watch those videos if they want to see you perform you can't perform in it we came up with like a couple basic ideas which was essentially we're going to make a music video that's like a movie trailer for a movie that doesn't exist because that gives you freedom to do whatever yeah, no you continuity. want. No continuity. Yeah. You can say anything you want. You can cut to anything yeah. and it just works. Yeah. And we're going to record dialogue that we're going to snake up and down in your, like a movie trailer in the thing. So the next day I get on the phone with him and he's like, what's the idea? And I said, well, here's the basics, but I don't, so you tell I don't have that. Yeah. I said, well, and they said, you have, we have to, you have to be in LA next week. Yeah. They said that to you. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, if you're going to do this, you have to, cause they're on tour. Oh, right. They're like, we have two days off on in this LA. one weekend. You need to be, we need to be filming next weekend. That was on uh, Wednesday. And you so have to I, be here next Wednesday. So I got on, I, I called him back and I said, that's fine. Two caveats. One, you have to give us all the money up front. It was like 25 grand. And like, trust that we're going to You have to give us off. all the money up front. A. And B, I don't have a script. You're going to have to just trust that what I just told you is going to work. And they were like, Did you have full conviction on that? I did because I figured we'd figure it out. We had a friend of ours. We always figure it out in some capacity. Luckily, there's a friend of ours, Joe DeVito, 
who's uh he produced uh, a lot of the Bam content for yeah for uh for MTV, and he's just a really crafty dude. He's New York through and through, and we've been friends for a while. And, and he was free, and we were like, dude, let's go do this, right? Let's go to LA and figure this out. And he had had he had contacts out there uh for crewing and whatever, and so we just said we're gonna do this, right? We had been friends with Elijah Wood for a couple of years at that point and we we had never worked together and so we called him up and we knew he was a friend of the bands and we said hey fan of the band fan of the band sorry and we're gonna do this do you want to be in it we want to cast you against type you're a bad guy you're a bad guy with a shotgun and he's like i'm in the band had then told us well we have we have lemmy from motorhead because we've been on tour with them and he's in la as everybody knows the rainbow so you have lemmy and elijah Elijah. and so at the time Joe was friendly with Selma Blair and he convinced her to do it for free. And then the band said, you know what? We should also get Mike Watt. Well, no, we, our, our original thing for Lemmy like, was, okay, we're going we're gonna to use Lemmy as the cowboy from Lebowski. And he's going to be the narrator, narrator of the thing. Because we didn't know, we assumed he wouldn't act. We assumed he would just do voiceover, sort of like Orson Welles in the Man of War record. Right? So we're just like, okay, so that's what we're going to do. So you went from uh, like a couple days earlier not even oh, that was knowing, like a day, a day earlier, like not even like thinking that you were only going to, if, if you even got, were able to do anything, it'd be a white psych thing. Yeah. But now it's this whole thing with all of these people going into that. Did, did, did it feel in the moment as the biggest thing you've ever yes. done? Yes. And like the opportunity yeah. for this new, uh, if you do it right, these things, things can happen. I don't know if it was things could happen. I don't think we see, looked that far, looked that far ahead. It was like, this is going to be awesome. And yes, of course, yes, obviously, you were excited. We were excited about it. I don't think we had made plans like this is going to kickstart our career. We were just right, like, right, right. this is going to be a big. This is going to be super fun. And it's going to be big. Obviously, we have good actors in it. That helps. Um, and I think I think it was more that okay, if this works and we can pull it off, this will be a good showpiece that we can work with, like name talent, right? Right. right, right. Outside of the fact that that half right. of them are our friends. Yeah. So anyway, we ended up also bringing Mike Watt in who ended up becoming the cowboy because Lemmy's schedule was up and down. He ended up showing up at the last minute and actually acted in it, which was way fucking better. He, we made it. So it all went well. Right. But I just want to say one more piece of detail again, without getting too putting too fine a point on it, because we didn't have a lot of time. I wrote after mine and my brother's conversations, I tend to do some of the more creative writing this is Jason on the plane. I wrote, a story. Okay. No script, but like a one page story of the events that had happened prior, during and after with little things about each character and naming each character and whatever, and then gave it to people to read. And then we had to, we didn't lock our, we locked our location location Friday. We shot Saturday and Sunday. We went to this, ended up at this warehousey kind of spot that I think they shot a lot of bridge by six street bridge, uh, which I think they shot a lot of porn there because there was like or softcore like Showtime Cinemax shit because there was just there was a yeah. ton of sets in yeah. this thing that here's a law office that here's were not bar, like very high quality. Room, but what we did was because it was a movie trailer, we literally with the DP uh, Brandon Tross and myself, my brother, we walked through every set that we had available to us and we said on the fly, "This is what's going to happen in this room. This is what's going to happen in this room." This and they were all movie references. Yeah, this is going to be oh, there's a there's like a weird like medical thing, Marathon Man. Oh, this is a weird blah blah blah. You know, whatever. And oh, we just a bar set. Great. We'll redo uh, right. Lebowski. Lebowski. Here, like, you know? and we and we went through and and did it on the fly, and then and then banged it out, and it worked. And we ended up doing a trilogy for them and turning that into a short film 
which we did submit to film festivals and got into like Rain Dance and a couple other. Oh, Rain Dance is great. Yeah, a couple other festivals, and so that was that was I think our our big directing. And what happened? Producing after, moment. Yeah. And what happened after that? Through that success, um, is there like a is there like a, a clear? I don't know. I mean, which is good to talk about the fact that it's not. So I don't clear. think it. I mean, sure, we got a lot of recognition, but either through our own faults. Or we never really made it to the agency production company level rep. And I think that's due to two things. I think that's due to the fact that we were forced to have our own production company because we were getting opportunities to do stuff and there was no one else asking us. Like, we didn't know anyone in the commercial world. We didn't come up through that system to be like, oh, well, we'll get a job at you know, we'll get rep by so-and-so and then bring them jobs. And do, like, we didn't know that process or that world. So we just kept grind. It's a grind. We just kept grinding at it and grinding at it. And because we had the post background, we had the ability to cut our own stuff. And we were learning the production stuff on the fly and with competent professional friends. So we basically became a production company. But a la the same way we ended up getting into post in the first place, you know, learning Avid in the first place through networking with people that were telling us what these new things were and then networking to in college to have known people who ended up in positions to give us work starting our own production company. I would say our strongest angle or str- our strength for our entire career has been networking, right? Just we like to talk to people. I'm the kind of guy that likes to go to a party and drink a beer and talk to somebody about who they are, what they do, and, oh, here's what I do. Oh, we could work together? Great. Or, oh, your buddy needs what I do, or I need what your buddy does, or whatever. Over the last 20 years, it's like having a rep, right? You don't. There's not one person out there helping you get work. I routinely get emails from people, oh, so-and-so from such-and-such said you're the guy to talk to about X or Z or Y or whatever, and that's how we do it. No, it's true. You know? It's funny. I... I because I, I guess that is, that is like an excellent point. It's like, how are you making this work? And it seems just to be by being someone to, to people enjoy hanging out with, well, talking I think, to. Well, that's, a, that's, you know, I would say 50% of any set, any job in what we all do here is personality, right? I would say 95% of our work comes from repeat business, from people who we've worked with who are like, wow, you guys were either... A, really easy to deal with. I didn't feel like you were trying to rake me over the coals. I had a great time on set with you and we all, because we don't run a screaming set. If you, if, if you don't get along with the team in what we're doing, we don't hire you back because we work with 90% of the time is our friends. A lot of 90s and 95s. Yeah. Is, well, I never uh, go 100%. Nobody's ever 100%. There. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, try either, to keep, I mean, we either hire you. If I don't know you and I hire you and we work well together, then not only am I going to hire you again, but most likely we'll end up being friends. And if the opposite is true, then you're never getting hired by me again. You could be the best at what you do, but if we don't get along, I don't want to work with you because it just makes me uncomfortable. Totally. Yeah. But I, you know, I think, uh, and so that, that, but that repeat business ends up, that ends up keeping you, that ends up keeping you with a good clientele. Like that, that's, that's magnetic, you know? And I think even in, in stuff that you guys produce and like for the, the, the vice thing. Yeah. You know, being on that, there's 30, maybe 20, 30 people on, on a set and it's like there, you can, you can tell, I think immediately, at least throughout the day that when you're on a set where the people at the top care very much about everybody there and like care a lot about the environment, let alone 
the end result, that stuff has effects that run super deep. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, so along the same lines, we were forced into learning how to produce because there was no other production company that wanted to hire us. That Maybe there was, but we did not have the ability or the foresight to go out and find them and, and work that system. So we were grinding it out, producing our own content, which then became much like our post facility and even our apartment we had as, as younger guys who did not have anyone of our age who had their own apartment. Our place was the place to come. Right. So now all of a sudden we have our own quote unquote production company. So friends of ours who had ideas and or jobs and you know? gear and infrastructure, people would say, oh, hey, well, I don't know who else to take this to. So can you guys produce this job for me? Sure. So now all of a sudden we're not directing certain jobs and we're just producing, which is a whole other skill set. Right. But right? lucky enough, you know, you always learn from somebody no matter what level you're at. And so we were lucky enough to start working with some producers who were more savvy than us in ways that we weren't, uh, who were willing to teach us the things that we didn't know. Like, you need craft services on a job, you know, because I never produce something at that level. So I didn't know you had to get craft services. Oh, right. Oh, duh, that's good. You know, let's make sure we get garbage cans and tables and chairs and, you know, all the things that when I would throw a budget together, I'd be like, uh, I would just think camera and getting it there and set, but not. Yeah feeding people and garbage and, you yeah, know, all these yeah, things yeah. that are the holistic not, thinking. Yeah. That needs to, that's yeah. So in the meantime, we've produced two South by Southwest documentaries. Features? Uh, feature documentaries. This Vice football, Kings of the Underground that you were on. We have a couple of projects coming up and now there we're routinely producing actually a lot more. You know, obviously we produce all of our own content. Every job we do, we're the production company on. And even if we're not, we end up producing in some capacity because we just think that way. Now we have a 360 degree brain now. Now right. we think from, okay, while we're writing a treatment, we know what's going to take to get into production. We know what, how we're going to have to direct it and we know what's going to be happening in post and delivery. Yeah. Well, I guess thinking from this point forward now, do you guys have like your ideal scenarios for five, 10 years out? And like, what does that look like? I as mean, a, kind of as a way to finish the conversation. As I mean, well? I mean to get, to go from here, I think, the goal is to, if we're going to continue to produce our own content, hire full-time producers who will handle that part of that and up-level ourselves yet again to just being creatives, right? I don't want to deal with writing budgets. I just want to be a director and I want to be working on episodic TV. I want to make features. I want to make commercials. We're, we've been doing VR for the last year and a half, which is super exciting. And I want, I, I think at 44, I'm, I've hit the point where I just want to be creative. I just want the art part of the art and commerce. And I want someone else to help me get the commerce to flow. Is it safe to argue that because you have spent all this time doing it, that now you're like, that's going to be more valuable now that you are going to hire other people to help, but like you can have like a more fluid conversation with them. It might help you in ways sure. in your productions where you are only being creative. Is well, that fair? Yeah. Because I'll go back to a, a like, so on a technical side, this is Jason, when we got that red one, because we are intent on learning about the things we like, we got the red one and through actually a really good friend at the time and still uh, Ian Bloom, who's a genius in his own right, he started explaining to me what a Bayer pattern sensor was and how the camera worked. And from there, I took the leap from there and, and that was the beginning of our like super tech stuff of just like learning every piece of gear 
from the tech side and the creative side of the gear, knowing how to fix it within reason as we used to do with the Avids and stuff. And just, you know, we used to take things apart a lot and we do a lot of puzzles and stuff as a kid. I'll sit at home and watch a how it's made marathon about how someone makes fucking bowling pins and shit. Yeah, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, it's not about wanting to make bowling pins, but being fascinated with how something is created By from process. nothing, the process, which can be translated into any medium or product or what have you. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been lucky enough to be mentored by a couple of people along the way who allow us to tap into the process part we may not either either know about or under, or know about but not understand and be able to observe. Observing is a is a great way to learn. I don't learn very well by reading. I learn very well by doing and watching. Well, I just think this this aspect of both of your personalities, it's no surprise then that, you know, that it has been more of a let's have our entire our, our own production company and like have everything operating under a tent that we're doing because we take all of this on holistically. It, it almost seems like that path was and has been for a long time inevitable. I think it, I think it was, I think we reluctantly do half the things we do <laughs> initially. And then we say, or, or inadvertently rather than re- reluctantly, we inadvertently became a post house. We inadvertently became a production company right. and almost inadvertently became directors, not out of I'm I'm saying the opportunities were inadvertent. Of course, those are, these are things that we decided we wanted to do, but along the way, we were lucky enough to have certain opportunities drop in front of us that we took advantage of for whatever reason. Um, but to your point about like now having the experience to be able to communicate someone on a holistic level, and what I was saying about the camera stuff is I would and I would encourage people to do this in any medium in any career is I would watch tutorial videos for hours about programs I would never use, about cameras and equipment that we would never use, like electric image, you know, years ago or whatever, because at a certain point, there's a little bit of interest, but at a certain point, we're going to have to deal with a vendor or somebody who does that. And I can't, we can't speak to these people blind for multiple reasons. A, we want to be able to communicate at as close a level to them as possible. Obviously, you can't be on level with everybody because there's a lot of people you want to have a competent conversation competent conversation and also not get screwed Mm. because if i watch a tutorial that says oh it it should take you an hour to do this i'm paraphrasing and someone says this is a day's worth of work i can call bullshit and say actually i know how to do that within reason and and it doesn't happen that often but you know what i mean you you need to feel confident in your in your choices with as limited or extensive knowledge as your brain will allow yeah well, the other the other part of that is finding a good accountant <laughs> who will explain to you every year what you did wrong. Well, that's a, and, yeah, and that's how a to whole do it separate, right, that's a whole separate right the next year. You know, that's a commerce versus art podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but that's the part. You know, I end up doing more producing and dealing with the books and things. And you know, we've been lucky to have accountants who will tell you save the bacon, set you yeah. straight. Yeah, here's, here's how you should do it. Here's how you're doing it. And somewhere down the middle is where the way you're going to end up doing it. And then the next year you have the same. And, you know, yeah. 20 years later, you're like, oh, I think I might finally understand how this works. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool. I, I mean, I feel like we, we've touched on so many aspects of probably it. Probably too feel chronologically like, and no, probably not enough of the no, juicy stuff. Yeah. But I mean, there, it's interesting. I feel like it, the talk could keep on going. And I think that a part of that, it's funny, like some guests, I feel like we, co- we cover it in an hour and I, I think uh, often that's because like they might be a one specific um like a cinematographer 
or like the, the, the point of this conversation and the, also the reason why I could keep going is the amount that you guys handle or the amount that you touch because of this holistic thing. Like we can have in-depth discussions on so many different aspects of it and that's, that's cool and exciting and I think is kind of the point of the overall talk. Well, yeah. Well, well then on, on, a, on a totally self-indulgent plugging nature. Plug away. Is I think the, the, the larger extension of that is Frame.io. Which is a, which is our you know cloud cloud collaboration platform, and I'm saying that in that that is that is along with Emery Wells and John Traver and our and you know newer team members were ideas that we all problems that we all had in our jobs that we somehow had the ability to solve, right? Right, and that is a completely we don't know shit about startups, and Emery's been great about that, and and he that's his thing, right? On top of being creative, he can really that's his focus, right? Yeah. And I think being able to add our sort of production history and our and our current knowledge, whatever that may be, over the last 20 years now helps make another venture that we're doing more solid in whatever, you know, uh, I don't know, it sounds egotistical to say. I'm just saying. No, through that, the collaboration, like you can. Collaboration about collaboration. Yeah. Is, you know, we're very collaborative people. I think maybe it does or doesn't come across in this podcast, but it, we don't really have an ego. Like there's no, you can't like offend me. You know what I mean? Like something is what it is. My my only thing in this world is I only need to know why. Like a girlfriend would break up with me and I'd be like, sure, I'd be upset. But in the moment I'd be like, well, I just need to know why you want to break up with me. And then cool. Well, it's And I'll funny, cry later when I go home, you know. The majority but. of us have truly not started collaborating until well into our teenage years, if that. Oh, yeah. You know, like coll collaboration in a film class and like your film 101 class is a is an is an abject disaster right but you guys had been collaborating since right. you were toddlers and like uh, you know part of what makes collaboration work is kind of letting keeping your ego in check so all of that doesn't really surprise me and i think it does stem a lot from how things started yeah well i think also part of the for us part of the art versus commerce is i think it took us longer than normal to be successful because we don't have a singular We're successful. Well, I'm just in my <laughs> head. I am, but I don't know how else, you know, in the world I am, but we don't have a singular focus in that. You As know, you can tell by the yeah, listening yeah, to this that, podcast, it, but <laughs> just, strangeness you know, of in 1927, I mean, our, 62, I mean, hundred and our new yeah. company, next company is going to be called digression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't have a singular focus in that. Like, I don't want to be a tabletop guy or I don't want to be a, director that only does car commercials you know just all these guys that get all this work and all they do is the same thing or i'll only direct the, only, I'll only direct the movies i write yeah, yeah. it's like, like you're disc i mean and that's fine we have a lot of friends that do that no you're but we're discounting had, stories yeah. around the world that are no, incredible well, we have, we've had reps we have reps and and people who are trying to get to work and they're like well i pitched you for this job but you only have one spot like that. Do you have more? And yeah. I say, no, I did a spot it's like a that. Now I'm going to do something else. It's a longer road. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had this conversation on a different podcast where it's like, it's a longer road to, if you keep your like genres holistic or your mm -hmm. approach holistic, but like you might just find a more personal satisfaction, a more well-rounded life. Right. And you know, it's not, obviously there are people that are highly successful because they've stuck sure, to one thing. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I'm not mocking, but it really just, like, if you can find your, your happiness and your, um, I don't know, your, if you feel content as things keep going. Right. Well, it's just like Look at Danny Boyle. Look well, Danny Boyle. Yeah. Every movie is different, but they're a Danny Boyle movie, right? But also it's like having a nine to five, right? To me, making car commercials over and over and over again is akin to 
having a nine to five job, mm. right? Sometimes, sometimes your nine to five job is exciting and sometimes it isn't, but it's still the same job. Right. I know. Right. That, that if I can do. Makes sense. It, it's so it's sort of. By the way, if someone the, wants to give us a ton of car commercials. Yeah, no, we'll I'll certainly do, do them over and over again. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the idea is. I'll that, be miserable the whole time. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure yeah. you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having lobster crafty. Yeah. 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 You're just miserable. Yeah. But Driving I, my Tesla. But the, idea yeah. is, but the idea is the same, right? Like I can work on a VR job and then I can go work on a feature and then I can go work on a short or then I can do a commercial or a whatever 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 and that's how my brain works yeah it's just my brain is so scattered yeah. that i can't focus on one thing over and over and over again or i go and if anyone if anyone's ever heard the band battles listen to that that's the that's what sounds heads. like inside my head <laughs> as our friend once said it sounds like two rope two robots arguing <laughs> i feel like this is a great place to stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> well thank you guys so much um really enjoyed it and uh, when more stuff happens, we can always uh, get back together and do it again. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.